Welcome to the Adoption Connection Podcast, where we share resources by and for adoptive and foster moms. I'm Lisa Qualls. And this is Melissa Corkum. Don't worry, we get it and we're here for you. Hi, friends. Welcome to episode 119 of the Adoption Connection Podcast. Today, we have some guests where we're going to be talking about marriage in particular. So, Melissa, you and I know each other pretty well now, but just so that everybody else can hear a little bit of your story, how long have you and Patrick been married? We have been married, it will be 19 years in June, and you're going to hear JJ share this in the interview, and she said, we got married as babies, and then she shared that they got married at 22. Well, Lisa, you and I must have got married as really itty-bitty babies because (laughs) I was 20 when Patrick and I got married. He was a couple of years older, but you and Russ were also 20, right? We were. We were. We were 20. We will celebrate, get this, our 37th wedding anniversary in June. Like that just seems incredible. And, but we tell each other, especially when times are hard, sometimes I just have to look at him and say, look, we grew up together. We basically did. We've been together since probably right around the time of my 17th birthday. And most of my life has been with him. So marriage, of course, is very, very important to both of us. You're really going to enjoy hearing from our guests, Curry and JJ Blanford. Curry is a pastor, podcaster, and entrepreneur. He is on staff at Life Church, where he and his wife, JJ, have served for the last 11 years. JJ is a licensed clinical social worker and a TBRI practitioner who works with foster and adoptive families to restore hope and help bring healing. Together, they have two biological children and they welcomed their son through domestic adoption three years ago. They serve as support group leaders with Replanted Ministries, and they're also empowered to connect parent trainers. Even if you're not married or co-parenting, I actually still think there's a lot in this interview. They talk about their journey to adoption, and even some things are learning as a family towards the end. So you might want to tune in anyway. Well, hello, Curry and JJ. Welcome to the Adoption Connection podcast. Yeah, excited to be here. Thanks yeah, for having thanks us, Lisa. Thanks for having us. Great. Yeah, we're really happy to have you here too. I had the opportunity to meet both of you, I think last fall, Yes. Back in another lifetime ago, <laughs> when uh, I came and spoke at the Replanted Conference yes. in Chicago area. That was wild because I rented a car and I had to drive from Chicago, from the airport, through the craziest construction to get to where you were. And I live in a small town in North Idaho. So it was a bit of a stretch, I would say. Yeah, that's a wild drive. That is. Uh, Even yeah. if you're a. Uh, resident here. It's a wild <laughs> drive. I can't imagine showing up from out of state. Right. Yeah, it was it was a bit much. But once I was there, it was great. It's a wonderful conference. And I'm just so thankful I was able to be there. So we were talking about um, a way that you could serve our families, our listeners. And one of the topics that comes up again and again is marriage and how do we hold our marriages together under the unique stresses of foster and adoptive and kinship parenting. So, but let's start at the beginning. Can you tell us just sort of your story of maybe a tiny bit of your marriage when you got married, how you met, and then how you came into the adoption world? Uh, JJ's a better storyteller, so I think she, I think <laughs> should tell. Um, yeah, we actually got married when we were babies. We were 22 
And um, I had always believed that I would have an adoptive family. And so that was, you know, early on in our relationship of, I believe this is a call that God's given me. And so before this gets serious, like, I want to make sure that that's okay with you. And so we started our marriage um, with adoption kind of as the plan. Uh, We weren't actually planning on having biological kids. Um, Just that call to adoption was so strong. And so we'd been married about four years and decided to pursue uh, international adoption. And we're looking at adopting from Ethiopia. And shortly after we began that process, found out that we were pregnant with our first biological child. (laughs) Surprise! (laughs) So we found out that we were pregnant in 2009. Yes. And put uh, that journey on hold. The goodness of God in that is that we had a lot to learn about adoption. Um, and life of, and parenting. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yes, we had a lot to learn about a lot of things. Yeah. But part of the reason we were to, uh, pursuing international adoption is we weren't really ready to welcome a birth family into our family. Uh, I can only speak for myself, but probably had a bit of white savior complex of we're going to save some children from another place and by becoming a parent, not only did it give us additional years for education and to kind of grow in our understanding of what adoption is, it also was an opportunity to have our hearts refined, um, to grow in knowledge of the importance of openness, the beauty and the hardship of welcoming um, a you know birth family into our family. And so uh, we had our first bio child in 2010 Mm -hmm. decided we knew adoption would take a long time if we could have another close sibling let's try to do that had a second baby in 2012 and when our kids were three and five we started a domestic adoption process so you switched from international to domestic do you want to touch on that just a little bit I guess when we were adopting from Ethiopia, a lot of it honestly was to not have to deal with birth parents and openness. And as we got more educated, uh, we realized how important that actually is. And, uh, we're, we're swayed to, to start a, uh, domestic adoption, uh, because of that. That's really unique. I, I'm glad you're sharing that because I, d- I don't think people often want to admit that they're hoping if they adopt internationally, it'll be a little bit like wiping that slate clean, which we all know is absolutely not true. I mean, and you know, my, we adopted from Ethiopia in 2007 and a lot of those kids now are re they're finding their families, their community. I mean, Facebook, you know, they're communicating with their families. So it's really not what I think some people expected, but in this world, connections are there and we know the connection in the heart and the brain is there too. So that's, I'm really glad you addressed that. So, okay. Tell us a little more about that story. And sorry, just to that point, I think there is so, there can be so much secrecy or shame with adoptive families. And so we have chosen to be open with our story 
um, just because right, we want to acknowledge, like if we're asking other people to do the work and to address their own stuff, that we want to be really honest and open that we've had to do work. We didn't just arrive at this place. It's been a, it's been a rough journey. So. Yeah, we've learned a lot and, uh, and a lot of, in a lot of hard ways yeah. too. So. Right. And really that whole thing was rooted in fear, right? Yeah, right. Totally. I mean, just let's, I didn't know we were going to talk about this, but let's touch on that some more. What do you think parents are afraid of when they, when they try, when they choose an adoption path, hoping that they won't have to have contact with that birth family? I think there's a lot of like misunderstanding about what openness even is. Uh, I think there's a real lack of education on openness in general. Uh, and I think people are worried, you know, that the kid might, your child might, you know, want to be with their birth parent instead of you. Right. Which is, uh, yeah, which is something that you might have to deal with on down the road. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of fear around like, can they take the child back? You know, I, which is just, you know, in our legal system, especially domestic adoptions, you know, that's just not a thing. And uh, I think there's fear of just awkward situations, honestly, and uh, just having to, to navigate raising your child with somebody else. Um, yeah, yeah. I think people don't want to deal with that. And um, yeah, so avoiding it, I, I think feels easier than, than actually stepping into the, to the hard things. And I guess I'll jump on my little soapbox here. You're only damaging your child with that mentality. You know, they're going, they need to know their story. Our three-year-old already, he just wants to know all the time, just like our, our bio kids, like, where did I come from? Who am I? And, you know, processing some of these things. And so if you're afraid as an adoptive parent to process these things with the child, if you can't get over your own fear, it only uh, exacerbates those issues uh, down the road with your, with your child. Mm, that's so good. We actually have an episode uh, where I interviewed a mom who started with a closed adoption and because of her child's requests ended up with a very open adoption. It's a beautiful story and people listening, I will link to that in the show notes because it's a really beautiful story, but she and her husband had to overcome a lot of fear to go there for the sake of their daughter, but it's turned into a beautiful, beautiful situation. So, well, I, I think part of it too, is we just like control and we like to think that we're in control. And so having a closed adoption allows us to feel that we're controlling yeah. things, you know, however you got to adoption, there may have been some things out of your control. And so this feels like a piece that I can control this. I, and while I think we all know we don't actually have control of things, we like to pretend that right. we have control and that feels more comfortable. And so I think, you know, to choose openness is to give, to acknowledge that we don't have control and that we're, we're giving some of that away. Mm. Yeah. So tell me a little more of the story of your son joining your family. And I know there are parts of that story that you do not share publicly, but share with us what you can and want to. Yeah, so we had been in a, a domestic uh, program for, I think, three years. It felt like about a million uh, yeah. at the time, you know. Um, and it was uh, uh, around December. Uh, well, we found out he was he was um, ours in, in January. He had been born in December. There was about a seven-week gap there between him being born and coming home. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, it, it's one of those adoption stories we found out on a Wednesday we told our kids on Saturday, he came home on Monday. 
wow. (laughs) (laughs) And we went in to visit him. We drove about 45 minutes each way every single day to to go visit him at the the cradle, our adoption agency in Chicago. And so, yeah, just this crazy, you know, sharing with family and friends, like, surprise. (laughs) (laughs) And it, you know, and, and so there wasn't, as adoption goes, you know, they tell you, oh, you're going to meet this birth mother. She'll be early. You know, you do all the things. And of course, that's not how it played out. Five days later, he was home. And so, yeah, it's, it was wild. And as most adoptive families say, you know, it was the longest three years of our lives and we would do it again in a heartbeat to bring, to bring him home. So, Ironically, we don't have openness in our adoption, which is uh, something that grieves us mm. a lot. Uh, we pray for uh, his mom a lot, and think I, I we think about her a lot. a lot. And so it's it's hard to have gone through this journey of like realizing openness is important, and then to not have that uh, as at an option at this point. Story. At this point, yeah. But that's still I, we wish. Yeah, we wish we could. Uh, and, you know, have them have uh, some sort of a relationship. Um, so, well, and as, as uh, my friend Tanya shares in that episode, the, the closed adoption was on the side of the birth mom. She right. chose it to be closed. And their first connection was actually with the birth father, I think. Mm. I'm not, I can't quite remember, but you know, and, and things can change. People grow, people change. Right. right? right. And God is writing an amazing story. And so, there's a purpose in all of it. I'm quite sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And I, I have not seen your son in person, but he was in the really neat video that you guys did for replanted last year. Oh He's yes. adorable. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> He's you. cute. We also thought we would probably be a, a, a transracial uh, family and that was not the case either. Mm-hmm. He could not look more just like our family, which has, I think has its, own challenges and probably will have challenges for him down the road. Just not feeling like his story is uh, maybe as understood as he, as he would like it to be. So yeah, it's just, Mm. there's always something to navigate, you know? Yeah. It's all about expectations and having no control. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Pretty much none. Yeah. I know that people listening are going to completely relate to that. (laughs) JJ, you are a therapist. And so you bring some unique things to this conversation. And what we are talking about today, in addition to all these amazing things about your story and your own journey of growth and development, we're going to be talking about marriage. Because you work with both in ministry and professionally, a whole lot of couples who are adoptive and foster parents, and you are yourselves, and you are all too familiar with some of the unique challenges that our families face. And, you know, marriage, I always say you take two sinners together and put them together for the rest of their lives. It's not going to be easy, you know, and different personalities can make marriages more complex. But when you layer on adoption and fostering and sometimes infertility, so many things. Um, I think marriages can really struggle. And so I want us to talk a little bit about what I'd like you to talk a little bit about the challenges that you see more specifically with adoptive and foster families in their marriages. So what is interesting, I think, about our journey is we actually got re- uh, connected to the replanted community while we were waiting for our son to come home. 
we got to sit with other families who were having some conflict in marriage and family because of adoption uh, before we were ever there. And to sit with couples um, was really hard because so much of it was related to um, behavioral things in their children. We've also found a lot in the adoption community. Sometimes one person may be on board to foster and adopt and they have drugged someone else, drug a partner along. And so that can create some conflict. And so, I mean, I think, you know, even if you're listening and you're thinking about this, to have real honest conversation about, are we actually on the same page? Are we actually ready to change the trajectory of our family and our life by bringing kiddos from hard places into our home? But then it's like, okay, we've, if you're already there and you've made that choice, like (laughs) what's what's next? And so we actually had the opportunity to become uh, empowered to connect parent trainers we joke but are pretty serious about we want to help parents navigate kiddos' behavior so that that's one less stress in marriage. Right. Um, because marriage is stressful. As you said, two people coming together, you add kiddos to the mix and then you add kiddos from hard places to the mix and it's just more layers. And so within marriage, acknowledging, like the first step is acknowledging this is really challenging and it's okay that we're not all rainbows and sunshine at our house and that that's okay. We're not bad parents. We're not bad partners. We may just need some extra support or tools in our marriage and in our parenting to make things function better. It's crazy. I mean, I just think like all the, I was just thinking about all the dudes out there. Cause I think uh, with the foster and adoptive uh, community, it's mostly women sort of like pushing things down the road, which I find, uh, which is hard for me because I, you know, the guys are such an important part of this too. And I think it saddens me, but it's amazing how many guys, like we talked about, we're parent trainers. How many guys are like not on board with trauma informed parenting. And like, we have to have a lot of really confrontational conversations with people about being like, cause if you're, you have kids from hard places, you're two sinners in a marriage already. And you're not on the same page as far as parenting goes. Like you do not stand a chance at, at making it, you know, uh, that is a lot of, of obstacles <laughs> to having a, a happy relationship, not only with your spouse, but with your children as well. So. Right. And you may be able to keep your marriage together, but it may not really be the marriage you want. Right. Yeah. You're still married, but is it what you want, you know, right. the way you want it to be? So before we move into some practical ideas for parents, um, what are there any other challenges that you think parents face? I, I mean, I think not dealing with your own stuff is part of the challenge. Like I think people uh, rarely consider that even like going through infertility as, as a couple is very difficult. And I would say, my wife being a therapist and all that anybody who's journeyed through that probably needs to do therapy uh, to sort of process that trauma. I mean, that's a, that's a struggle for you. And I feel like, you know, when you have, when you have your own stuff that is undealt with, when you have your kids who have trauma, that's, you know, you're working through, and then you add a, a marriage and a family on top of all that, it just, 
it stresses that that stuff that you haven't dealt with like even harder than it does like than a you know a family that doesn't have kids from hard places in it and so i think that's a major challenge that people don't necessarily address like in parenting and in marriage if you haven't dealt with your stuff if you haven't processed your own traumas and we all have stuff <laughs> you know then then it it makes it a lot harder and it just it, yeah those stressors just keep piling up so yeah, we actually included a chapter, you know, in the connected parent about that, about understanding yourself, because we bring ourselves into the parenting relationship just like we do into our marriages, you know, and I think we can acknowledge that more clearly in marriage. Like, yes, we come from different backgrounds, we're different people, and there's going to be stuff we have to work out, you know, and we're willing to accept that. But I think when we come to adoptive and foster parenting, it's really sometimes too painful to feel like, I'm part of the problem sometimes, right. or mm-hmm. I'm, and not even part of the problem, but I'm bringing some of my own hurts from my mm-hmm. own life into this parenting relationship. And so I think we have to be very compassionate toward ourselves and toward yep. the other parents mm-hmm. that we serve mm-hmm. that it's so it's, you're not uh, unique in bringing some hard stuff into your parenting. We all do it. Right. Exactly. But it's really good to process. And especially if anybody's in that waiting period, gosh, this is the time. I think having a good therapist, a trauma-informed therapist on board is so important for parents. And if you can do some of that work before, all the better. But most of us are already in the thick of it. So you got to <laughs> yeah, do it in the right. midst of it. <laughs> yes. And I think it's such an important point as parents to have a trauma-informed therapist. We seek that out for our kiddos. But if your kiddo is working with a trauma-informed therapist and your therapist isn't supporting that work, it is not going to be helpful. And right. so, and it's not that they're a bad therapist or any of those things, but you you need your therapist and your child's therapist to be speaking the same language so that you're working towards the same healing. Hey friends, we want to pause the interview to make sure you know about our free compassion challenge for the discouraged adoptive parent. This is an on-demand video training so you can rebuild your compassion for your child and enjoy parenting again. In this free video training, we'll introduce you to blocked trust and blocked care. We'll help you understand why your child pushes you away, why you're not a bad parent because you're losing patience, and shed the feelings of shame and guilt. There is hope you can regain compassion for yourself and your child. To grab this free training, head to theadoptionconnection.com slash compassion. Now let's hop back into our interview. You need your therapist and your child's therapist to be speaking the same language so that you're working towards the same healing. And so I think as adults, uh, we don't always point adults to trauma-informed therapists. And I think that's so, so important. I do too. And on the theme of therapists, how good are parents at finding therapists for themselves, do you think? <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> Horrible. Do you want and, to talk about that, JJ? Yes, I do. <laughs> I'd love to talk about that. I, what I think is so interesting is for kiddos, you know, parents will start to see early signs anxiety, depression, behavioral, and they want to be as proactive as they can oftentimes. How can we curb this as quickly as possible? Yet for ourselves, 
we wait until we are burned up crispy. And then we're trying to find someone. We may not have as much emotional energy to do that. I, I always tell people, like, it's hard to find a therapist that you connect to. Right. And so if you are able to do that before you're burned out crispy, it will be much more helpful. And, you know, and there's all these barriers. I'm, as a therapist, I'm well aware. Your insurance dictates things. Where you live dictates things. Childcare dictates things. And so there, there are so many obstacles to even get yourself to therapy, to find a therapist that you connect with. If you are listening and thinking like, I'm noticing I'm more anxious during this global pandemic and my yes. children are home and we're all working from home and, you know, all the things like today would be a great day to call. And if if you're feeling overwhelmed, like, how do I find a good therapist? Ask your friends. You know, you might be surprised how many of your friends might see a therapist or, you know, ask your doctor, like, what therapist do you recommend? Get a recommendation from someone you trust and start there. Read their bio. And if it, you know, clicks, give them a call. See if you could do an assessment, those sorts of things. I was going to say, and so many therapists are now available online. Yeah, yes. right. Mine included, you yeah. know. And honestly, I would love to see her in person. But now I'm kind of thinking, well, maybe we'll do some you know, telehealth. And then occasionally I'll make the drive to see her in person. But now that we've all gotten used to Mm -hmm. doing things through telehealth and online, it really opens up even more possibilities. It does. I think. I'll just add to that. I mean, even if it's not a a therapist uh, per se, like uh, I see a spiritual director and I've found that immensely helpful. Um, And so, you know, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be one uh, avenue per se. So that's a, that's another place to go. Right. Yeah. I think um, parents can look for therapists. They can look for a spiritual director. I think an older, wiser, adoptive parent, or even, you know, a couple who's been married a long time, if we're talking about marriage, so there are options. I still mm-hmm. think a therapist is an awesome idea. <laughs> very, but, very much but agree. We yeah. can use more than that because, you know, yeah. a therapist is available to us maybe an hour a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if we have a community that's available to us every day, that's really helpful and supportive. Okay. So parents can seek help from sort of that level of professionals or caregivers. Um, what can parents do on their own? What creative things can parents do? to help strengthen, sustain, heal their marriages? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. That's a yeah, tough one. I mean, I think as we were talking before we started recording, there just you have to prioritize your marriage. And that means, you know, I think so often we hear, we don't have time for a date night or it's hard to get away. And to that, I always say it is. But if your kid had an appointment, you would make that happen. Right. You would make that work. And and so sometimes it's the hard work of realizing we've maybe said we're prioritizing, but we're not actually prioritizing. And so like for us, before pandemic, we religiously had a monthly date night and it was on the calendar. That was a great way to connect. That for us has gone away. So we've had to be a bit more creative 
I think part of it is, is there someone that is in your bubble currently that you feel comfortable taking care of your kids? We have been fortunate enough. We have a dear friend who was a foster care caseworker for many years. She is trauma-informed, so she can watch our kids. Right. We realize that is not everybody's reality. <laughs> right. So, you know, for us, it's been maybe our kids can watch a movie and they're old enough to do that in our home while we sit in the backyard and talk to each other in quiet. I I think part of it is you have to get away from your children at some point every and if you can every week not leave your house but be in your backyard or you know have we have coffee almost every morning at our dining table and our kids can play it starts my day differently to have 15 minutes with curry before the chaos of the day unfolds and i feel connected to him that's where we talk about what does what does today hold what does today look like for us when are you going to work when you know and so i think there's like yes you check in weekly but there's also these like moments for us right. every morning of like, where are we at today? Where are we headed today? Are we on the same page? Oh, wait, did I tell you that I'm actually going to work two hours earlier? Whoops, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but I, I think part of it is, especially now, while we are under additional stress, you ha there has to be communication always, always, always. And I, I think that's okay. I think it's okay to check in even several times a day. How are you doing? You know, for us, uh, we've decided to homeschool this year, which is a new journey for us and has created some new challenges. Yes. And, and so yesterday, um, before I headed to work, Curry just said, why don't you take some time after work today and just don't, don't come home. I think you need, I think you need an hour or two by yourself. I think to have healthy marriage, we have to be able to look at each other and say, I see you having a hard time and I'm going to give you some space to, I'm an introvert. This is a lot of time with people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so sometimes I can't set that boundary for myself of, I, I feel I'm too important. And so I need Curry to kind of gently come in and say, I think you're, you're moving to burnout. I can see that in you and I would like you to care for yourself. And, um, I think being partners that can give that to one another or getting to a place that we can do that is really important for marriage. Yeah. Again, especially in a pandemic when our resources are less, our ability to leave home is less. Um, I, I think this is a time that could very easily add strain and stress to marriage. And so what are the creative things that you and your partner can be doing to care for one another in a really nurturing way? Mm, that's so good. I actually just read a article from the Gottman Institute, which I'll link in the show notes of our of this episode. And they were talking about this very thing, like having basically these touch points of communication. And they talked about, you know, five minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the evening, you know, just different things. But I think Russ and I used to be really good at that. We Years ago, we used to run together in the morning. Then there's a time when... Um, because we have so many kids. So we had older kids, you know, there was <laughs> right. a time when uh, we would go walking in the morning together. So we had a lot of time for communication, but as the strain of this incredible parenting 
just increased and increased and increased, that time just started to disappear. And Rusta started going to work earlier because once the kids were up, I needed so much help. So he would go early and he, I'm a morning person. He's more an evening person. So the evenings we were out of sync. And honestly, we're, we've been married 36 years, you guys. And we're trying to figure out how to come back to some of that. You know, how do we put more intentional points of connection in our days, in our weeks? Because that's something that we have not done well in the last quite a few years. So, but we knew it's so important. Mm-hmm. Well, I think even that, I think in all of this, I mean, I would say the same thing for trauma. I would say the same thing for parenting, but especially trauma-informed parenting, but you just have to be willing to pivot. And if something's yes. not working, you just have to be like, we're going to figure this out. We're going to try something. And if it doesn't work, we're going to try something else, right? Like you just have to be willing to always be making things better and 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 working towards that, that harmony. Mm-hmm. And I do think creativity is important. We uh, did find some great time to connect when on occasion, we didn't set it up regularly, but when the kids were actually in school back, back in the olden days, <laughs> actually the way olden days were all homeschooling for me because I did that for 23 years. But then in the last five years, the kids have been in school. And so sometimes Russ would come home and have lunch with me and we just get some time all to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that was really lovely, but there is no time anymore. So we, we've gone and, you know, taken some walks. We've literally, when it was really bad weather, we just went and parked our car at a park and just sat and talked, you know, there's ways to get away together. But if you don't have anybody old enough at home Mm -hmm. to watch the kids, or if your children's needs are and behaviors are so challenging that you can't leave a teenager in charge, then you have to figure out how to do it at home. Yeah. And even simple, like even simpler things of like, you know, I know so often by the time kids are in bed, people are exhausted. And that's um, that's totally. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So for several years, I mean, when Britain first came home, we those first few months, we didn't feel comfortable leaving him and we still knew we needed to stay connected. And so for us, it was like Sunday nights were less chaotic. So we'd put the kids to bed a little bit earlier and we'd do like a charcuterie board and a movie. It it wasn't a glorious like night out, you know, dressed up fancy, but we knew Sunday nights, you know, and sometimes it was living for Sunday night. Mm-hmm. Like if we can just get there and watch this movie and have our like special dinner, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's, that's what we needed. And so I, I do think it is that idea of like, it takes creativity currently because of the pandemic, but it's always creative. And I think that's what makes it challenging. Your kids get to different stages, their activities or therapies or whatever may take up more of your time. And so you do, we're all about when the kids were in school, lunch together. Oh, for sure. Mm -hmm. It was this glorious, non, and we have non-traditional schedules, so we could make that work. And so it is that like, okay, things are different now. How are we making things work? currently i think i think we should talk about sabbath i think that that's something that we've been thinking that too so let's talk about that yeah that's one of our that's one of those places you know that's our soapbox right there is um, clearly we have several we keep mentioning soapbox that's okay Uh, let's let's hear it i i want to hear about sabbath so for about 18 months now we've been uh practicing a 24-hour sabbath uh as a family um and so it's just a day that like we turn off our cell phones, 
like people could get in contact with us if they really needed to, but it's very difficult. You know, no email, no anything like that. Uh, we do a special sugar cereal for breakfast with the kids, you know, uh, and then we go to our, our favorite restaurant for lunch, uh, every Saturday and have, uh, lunch as a family, but that whole, like the whole day just slows way down. You know, it is, it is peaceful. We take time to delight in each other and delight in, in the Lord and the good things that he's given us. And it just, it's, it's a reset yeah, for is. our family every week because it's 24 hours, no, no work. We are totally present with our children. I, you know, kind of back to that piece of what we're bringing to this relationship is I think every person listening has been guilty at some point of being distracted by their phone when they're parenting. No, I've never done that. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that's not a problem. <laughs> and, and, so, and, and also in our communication with our spouses, like right, how many times do I say to Russ, Oh, I'm sorry. I need to check this. Right. Yeah. Gosh. Okay. I'm feeling a little convicted here. Carry <laughs> on, carry on. And so <laughs> it is 24 hours of presence. And so that is often when we get our time together, like our kids are actually, it's the craziest thing. On Sabbath, our kids can play together in a way that they can't during the week. I don't know if it's because they feel that we're more present. I don't know what it is. But they can occupy themselves for hours. And it gives us the ability to connect. And it is a discipline that we've worked really, really hard as a family um, to establish this rhythm. And we preach it because we've seen how it helps our families. It gives us not only that time to connect as a couple, but it's a beautiful time to connect with our children. We, we have, you know, several slow meals together that we right. just linger at the table because there's, no, there's not another thing to get to. So tell me practically, when does your Sabbath begin and when does it end? We start Friday nights around five o'clock. It's usually whenever JJ gets home from work. Uh, we start at five o'clock and then it goes till five o'clock on, on Saturday. On Saturday. And so it's a very, like, we do a very simple dinner so that mom isn't stressed. We, or dad. Or dad. I, dad cooks cook. a lot too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so the parents um, aren't stressed. Right. Yes. And then we, we moved to a treat cereal in the morning. So that, again, no one's cooking Saturday morning. Our, and our kids think, like fruity pebbles are God's <laughs> gift to the world. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's a great way to talk about good gifts and delighting in God. Yeah. And then this like long lingering lunch that we don't cook. And we have a song that we sing together. We like candles. We read liturgy. It's beautiful. It, it sounds hokey. I think sometimes you're like, oh, it's so, but it, it really like, I feel like we are just like limping into Sabbath every single week. And it's like the thing that, that we're living for as a family. We also, in our, when we talk TBRI stuff, we talk about doing a day of yeses with your kids just mm-hmm. to get, uh, and basically Sabbath is a day of yeses every ah, single week. That's a beautiful yeah. connection. I love that. It and, and our kids know. They do. They'll be like, can I get two treats after lunch? Because it is Sabbath and we're delighting in the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> and so just this it. ability to say like, yes, Yes, we are delighting with you because God delights with yeah. us. And so it is this beautiful connection of 
it, it's a great place for us to connect in marriage and in parenting. And it just calms down everything, it feels yeah. like. You know? yeah. yeah, it kind of resets the nervous system, right? Yeah, yeah. it does. For everybody. Yeah. Okay, so two questions. How did you choose Saturday versus Sunday as your Sabbath? My background with Sabbath was, was a little bit more that um, our whole church was pretty Sabbath-oriented, but we all did it on Sunday. So I'm curious how you chose Saturday. Well, I'm a pastor, so I can't possibly Sabbath on Sundays. <laughs> right. So Sunday's yeah. a work day for you. Right. Yes. Right. So, and, okay. So and it it works it works pretty perfectly for us, uh, honestly. I do wish we could worship with our community on Sabbath. That is like the one downfall, but um yeah, it's it's yeah, works well for us. That's great. Okay, yeah. and I'm sure you have some resources on Sabbath that we can add to the show notes. I'm making a big list of all the things we're gonna add. Um, but do you wanna mention a we were getting off track, but how did you very briefly get tuned into the importance of Sabbath as a as a place of connecting with the Lord, with each other, with your children? How did that happen? This could be a whole episode, but we'll condense it way down. We do have an episode on that for the oh, good. On, on my on my podcast. So another uh, another I'll, uh, I'll link. <laughs> okay. Exactly. Yes, and Curry um, has a podcast. Yes, we'll mention that too. Uh so basically our good friends, Aaron and Jody, who are sort of, you know, our, our besties sent us a podcast by, uh, John Mark Comer, who's mm-hmm. up in your neck of the woods mm-hmm. and was like, uh, we're hanging out tonight. You need to listen to this podcast so we could talk about it. And we listened. I, I mean, just our minds were sort of blown. You know, it was mm-hmm. like, it answered a lot of questions that we had had for a long time, just about why aren't things I don't know. It feels like sometimes not every, everything's working. Like, why is, why do I feel off here? And it just kind of, it brought things into perspective, I think, in a new way for us. Yeah. And I think part of it, you know, God's timing is so timely. And I think we were really at a place of wrestling with, do we look different than the world? Mm. We follow Jesus and we proclaim him. But if anyone was to like observe our family activity week in and week out, would they look at our family and think like, oh, they're different. They're Mm -hmm. doing things different. And, you know, yes, you hope in the way you speak to your children and to your spouse that that would be present. Um, But we felt a lot of conviction about how we were living life. And so um, it really kind of gave us pause and time to study I think making this choice with another family to say we're holding each other accountable, this is a new rhythm that we're setting, made it much easier. If anyone were want to want to reach out to talk more about it, we we are passionate about Sabbath, <laughs> clearly. Yeah, um, but but I think it yeah it helps us find rest in a world that is chaotic. And I think we had tr- we had attempted Sabbath in the past when we were younger, but it was always sort of a like. Oh, just watch football all day or like binge Netflix, you know, just like not do like normal work. But it's so much more. It really is. It's delighting in the Lord and his good gifts. And I feel like there's no, there's no place for that in our everyday lives. We're constantly just hustle and bustle. And, you know, it's just work, 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 work. It's emails. It's, we're just so inundated. And if you're not giving yourself space for that, then it's not happening, I would say. And so we've just, you know, just really, I mean, it's almost like God created the world to function like that, you know, where you like, you know, uh, work six days and rest one, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's crazy. So. And I think we're afraid of it. We're afraid to stop. We're afraid yes. we'll get too far behind. We won't be able to compete depending on our career. We won't, we won't be able to, uh, 
hold it all together. And so many adoptive and foster parents, that's just what we're trying to do every day is just hold it together. Right. Keep our families from just falling apart. Mm -hmm. But I think what I'm hearing is that we have to be intentional, really intentional about communication with our spouse, about connection, about rest. Um, I think that's really, you're, you're inspiring me actually to revisit <laughs> Sabbath because I think, you know, again, when life gets really hard, we had a rhythm and then with life changes and probably more recently, you know, we've always had a Sunday dinner with our kids, all of our big kids. And now literally all but one of our big kids has moved away, mm. leaving us more with the ones that we're parenting in the day in and day out, which is harder. And we don't have these big kids just gathering with us for a, a big family dinner. So, um, but I have been thinking about this. How do we, with the life we have right now, yeah. with the kids we're parenting right now, how do we reestablish that? So you're inspiring me to think about it. To us, one of the funniest things, kind of that idea, it's like that self-importance sometimes. Yeah. There yes. is nothing like turning my phone back on on Saturday and realizing I literally missed yep. zero things. Like nobody cared that I was <laughs> like, gone for 24 hours. You know, but I, I think we like to think that we have this importance or like, what mm -hmm. if we miss the thing on social media? And it's like every week when I plug back into the world, I'm like, Nobody called, nobody text, like the world kept moving. And I think having that pattern for 18 months makes it easier to be like, oh, I can do this. Like I can unplug for 24 hours and the world doesn't fall apart. But I've needed this repetition that that has happened again and again, that I can say, okay, it's safe for me to step back. And this is all actually still here to yeah. return to when mm -hmm. I come back to it. And as a couple, we can unplug from our kids for an yeah. hour right. or two hours, and they're going to be okay. One of the things, one of our little tricks over the years, and we did a lot of at-home dates because, you know, even before we adopted, we had seven kids. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of room, and there was no money. You know, yeah, no, right. yeah. It felt like there was no time and no money to go out. But um, so we would put the kids either in front of a movie or to bed early and have a meal together. Or, but... Um, one of the tricks we learned when we had kids who were old enough to sort of manage is we, I would make dinner, we'd all have dinner and we say, okay, kids, you are in charge of dinner cleanup. And now this was post-adoption. We did not have just all easy breezy, well-attached kids, you know, but still we'd say, you are in charge of dinner cleanup. And we'd name some kids for different spots. And we'd say, mom and dad are going to go upstairs and um, you guys can manage for 30 minutes. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot you can accomplish in 30 minutes. <laughs> you know, the kids aren't going to knock on your door. And, you know, uh, points of connection, you just have to yeah. find them, you yes. know. And yes. it may be that your kids can clean up dinner for 30 minutes. Or it may be that they can be in another room and mom and dad can have coffee alone for 30 minutes. You know, it doesn't take... It doesn't mean always that we're going to go on a vacation together and leave the kids. A lot of our kids can't be left right. unless we're totally desperate and we really need to. But um, yeah. we can find other pockets of time for communicating and um, just making sure our marriages are holding together. Because I know that Russ and I know couples whose marriages have not survived the stress of life, of 
and parenting, parenting at the level that we all are doing. So I think it's, and our kids have so many losses. Now, for those of you listening who've already been through a divorce, do not hear this as a criticism, but our kids have had so many losses. We want to try our best not to add to that. And sometimes it's not possible. You know, we all know that there are some marriages that for really legitimate reasons could not make it. But for the rest of us who are have the normal stresses and strains of marriage and life, we want to do our very best to hold together to not add layer more trauma, right? Yeah. On yeah. our kids right. and on ourselves. Yeah. Like, yeah. I do remember there's one book. Uh, I can't remember the name right now, but in the preface, he says something like, you know, uh, parents of kids who've had a lot of trauma, they don't divorce because nobody wants to be left with, with the kids all on their own. Like we actually need each other. Let's stick together as much as we possibly can. Do you have any final thoughts or words of encouragement for couples to persevere? I guess I, even as you were talking, I was thinking that I think a lot of times we look towards those, like you said, vacations or those date mm-hmm. nights as like places of connection. I feel like this whole episode has been a lot of, no, do it like now. You know what I mean? Yes. Like it's the smaller points of connection throughout the week that make those date nights what they are. So don't just like look out like, like that connection somewhere out there, connections here uh, right now and uh, with each other. Yeah, that's so true and so important. JJ, how about you? Um, I was just thinking, like, it's worth the hard work. Mm-hmm. Like, for those of us who choose, like, to use TBRI principles in our families, like, when I start that with families, I talk about, like, this is going to be really hard. It's going to possibly be hard for a while. And you'll start, but, but you'll, if you do these things, you will start to see glimmers. And those glimmers will help push you forward. And I feel like that's the same in marriage, Mm -hmm. like doing the hard work in marriage of even sending the text, like, how's your day today? What's been good? You know, whatever, whatever that connecting point is, like, I've never met with a friend or a client who said like, gosh, I, I, you know, cared too much about my marriage. I worked too hard and it wasn't worth it. And I think sometimes you have to be willing to do the work and and just the way that we're pouring into parenting, we have to put that same energy and time into into marriage. Mm, that is so true. I think one of the hardest questions and most important questions for me to ask Russ, and even when I do it, I'm like, what's he going to say is, how can I make your day better? What can I do to make your day better today? That's a hard question, but I think it's a very, it builds a bridge, even in a time when a marriage is struggling. You know, what can I do to make today, today better for you is if we can be willing to ask that question, that alone will, I think, produce some healing and give us hope because we are in this together and we want to be, we don't want to do this alone, right? Yeah, right. So right. we want to do it together. We want to keep our marriages together. And, you know, marriages have hard seasons, but that is not, um, it won't always be hard. It won't. It doesn't have to always be hard. Right. We just have to persevere. And having been married 36 years, I promise there have been some times that have been just smooth, like, and I think, wow, we have such an easy marriage. And there have been other times when we've been holding on by just a little thread of holding on by the commitment of our vows and our commitment to the Lord 
and saying, we are going to fight this fight for right. our marriage, for our sake and for the sake of our family too. Yeah. yeah. Totally. It's good. It's yeah. Good stuff. good stuff. Thank you. Thanks for being here with me and talking marriage. And for those of you listening, we will load up the show notes with <laughs> lots of useful links. When we finish this recording, we will uh, make sure we haven't forgotten anything and I'll be sure to include those. So thank you so much. Do you want to give just a quick plug for replanted ministry? This may come out after the replanted conference. I can't remember right now, but go ahead and just do a little plug for that. We work closely with uh, Replanted Ministry, which is uh, it's a ministry for, uh, to provide support groups for foster and adoptive families. Um, and so those happen uh, across the country. And so that's, I mean, th- those are great places. If there's one in your area to just like get involved, you need that support. Uh, there's also a Replanted Conference. It's digital this year uh, in October, but it's happening again next year. We're already working on the 2021 conference and it's going to be epic because we have a lot of making up to do from, uh, from the digital version. So yeah, we'd love for for everybody to check that out. For those of us who were planning to speak at it this year, (laughs) we're all going to be there for you next year. Right. So yes, we will include a link to replant it as well. All right. Thank you so much for being with me. Thanks Lisa. It was awesome. Well, that was a really great conversation. I love hearing how other families, how other couples are kind of navigating this whole journey. I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before. It's been a long work in progress, but Patrick and I were just away a couple of weeks ago. We are working on a marriage book for adoptive and foster parents. And so I am excited to hear another couple, you know, just talking about how important it is to be intentional about our marriage relationship, because it's really the one that has to withstand time across, you know, all of our parenting relationships. Absolutely. In fact, Russ and I just got back last night from getting away for a weekend, which was really so good for us. We kept saying, wow, this is so nice. It feels so good to be away. And we were only an hour from home at a cabin where we ended up having no electricity. So it was a very interesting trip, but so, so worth it. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to connect with uh, Curry and JJ, if you want a link to Curry's podcast, you can find all of that in the show notes at theadoptionconnection.com slash 119. Before you go, we'd love to connect with you on social media. You can find us on Facebook or Instagram as The Adoption Connection. Thanks so much for listening. We love having you. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a quick review over on iTunes. It will help us reach more moms who may be feeling alone. And remember, until next week, you're a good mom doing good work and we're here for you. The music for the podcast is called New Day and was created by Lee Rosevere.